Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Sometimes, sometimes I don't feel much like a Christian. Anybody else here like that? You know, sometimes it seems like your life gets really busy and this is happening, that's happening, you're going, you're doing, and you're trying. And next thing you know, you know, you add into that the fact that that selfish part of you that still creeps back up, right, and gets in the way and, and uh, uh, demands. It's just, <clears throat> and you say, wow, is this what it's all about? And we know the answer to that. Is that what it's all about? Is it? It's not, No. And, and uh, I know you might be saying here, oh, no, if, if, if pastors, if he doesn't get it, then we're all in trouble. No, that's I'm going to say. I mean, that isn't where I live the majority of the time, but it happens. Because what we want to talk about today will address that. It's the solution to that. It's, it's what will make it be different for you in a real and vibrant and living way. <clears throat> But the reality is we're all works in progress. And so we're someplace along this continuum of getting where God wants us to be. But what we're going to talk about today can bring a focus and a life to our Christianity that will make it so real. And you know, you long for that, don't you? Don't you long for that? If you've trusted Christ as Savior, I remember back in April 4th, 1975, I trusted Christ as Savior. It was so clear to me. And at that point in time, he put a longing deep down inside of me that's never gone away. Sometimes I have to reconnect with it, but that longing that I want my life to be what he wants it to be. I want my life to be this life that he's described. And it can be. And very often I experience that. So how do we do that? How do we get to that place? We're in this series talking about what does it really mean to be a Christian. <clears throat> and so two Sundays ago, we talked about that there has to be that starting point. There has to be that time when, when our lives, which on our own, are sinful, are selfish, are separated from God, has to connect with, with Christ, who's perfect, pure, holy, the... the uh, the meter of all our needs. I don't know if that's a correct term or not. But where we have to intersect with him, our lives intersect with him, we receive Christ as Savior. At that point, an eternal transaction occurs and every sin is forgiven and we receive eternal life and he comes to live within us and begins that working in us. And then last week, we, we talked about having to come to a new realization that doesn't come to us naturally. And that realization is that I... I'm not the most important person here. Jesus is. And that's kind of a shocker, to be honest with you. Shocker to our nature. That, wait a minute, I am not the most important person here. But what we, what we want to look at today is how do we turn this into something, and we don't turn it, but how do we get it to where all of a sudden this is this uh, positive, engaging, life-changing approach to where we're really getting it, what it means to be a Christian. How do we do that? Well, the Word of God gives us some insight into that. So let's, let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to the book of Philippians. 
We want to talk about a, a changed life. How about the Apostle Paul? Okay, very religious man, uh, persecuting Christians because he thought they were false uh, teachings and against God and having them put in prison, beaten, having some of them killed. And then he met Jesus. Tried to receive Christ as Savior and it just transformed everything. And so he began serving the Lord. The Lord said, I have a special mission for you. You're going to carry the gospel to the Gentile world out from where Judaism is. You're going to carry it out to the rest of the world. And he, he was doing that. And in the process, he got beat up. He got thrown in jail. He, all sorts of problems came his way. <clears throat> and what we're going to look at this passage today, he was in jail. And as he was in jail, there were people on the outside, Christians, who were glad he was there. Seems kind of strange, but some of them were glad he was there because they, you know, they had competition thing going on. They wanted to be at the top, and so they're going to take advantage of Paul being in jail. Now let me tell you, if you were giving your life for something, and you were giving your life for getting the gospel to people, and you're doing all this, and then uh, you get thrown in jail for it, and, and that's bad enough, and then you find out that there are people on the outside that are taking advantage of the fact that you're in jail and saying, aha, see, see, see. How would you feel? That could be pretty depressing, couldn't it? Make you angry, frustrated and feel, what's the point? All those things. Well, let's see how the Apostle Paul addresses these things. And what we're going to see is that he had a major, major life shift, and that's what we need to have. Verse number 12, <coughs> talking about being in jail. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Hey, the gospel's going out even better because I'm in jail now. Okay. He says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So here's the deal. I'm just one prisoner here, but what's happened is, is God has somehow rather worked this out to where Every one of these guards and everyone working here knows why I'm here. I'm here because of Christ. I'm not just here as a prisoner. I'm here because of Christ. And that is becoming known. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So instead of... <clears throat> his going to jail causing other Christians to, to shrink back and say, oh no, we don't want to go. Somehow or other, God had stirred their hearts about that. Paul, you know, is stood up and preached and went to jail for it. I'm going to stand up and preach. I'm going to follow his example. I'm going to do that. And so they're preaching more boldly than ever. And then he says, verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So the, the ones who love me know I'm here, but these other ones, they're preaching Christ selfish. They have selfish ambitions here, and they want to add affliction to my chains. They, might want, they want to make it worse for me. All right, so this is the point where I'm trying to say is... How do you deal with that? Where would you come down? How would you feel? I mean, are you with me that I think I would struggle with that? Would you struggle with that? I think I would. 
Well, how did Paul respond? What did he say? Verse 18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, in other words, whether it's those people who are doing this for the wrong reasons, or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. He's rejoicing over this, even though it's being used against him, even though there are people out there who want to hurt him, even though there are people who are trying to put him down. He says, I rejoice. Why? Because Christ is being preached. Now, that's a major life shift, isn't it? From going from feeling like we, by nature, remember it's the way we were from the time we were conceived and grew up and, and lived, that we naturally tend to see ourselves as the most important person here. To Paul saying, I rejoice because Christ is being preached. Doesn't matter what's happening to me, Christ is being preached. That is a life shift, isn't it? It's a huge shift. It's a shift that's available to us. So, but I ask the question, how can he do this? <coughs> I mean, we see that, you know, it's important to him that Christ is being preached. Well, let's read on. Excuse me. Okay. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So what's Paul? He says, hey, it's not about me and whether I live or whether I die. It's about whether or not Christ is magnified in me. And magnified means what? Seen bigger. Seen in a bigger way, a clearer way. And then he says this. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Do you understand? He says, if I'm going to die, that is far better. By the way, why is we as Christians, I mean, it's, it's natural. God made us to live, right? He made us to live. That was the original plan, and then sin got in the way, and we, we eventually died. But he made us to live. We're built that way. And so, yes, we want to live. But Paul here says, hey, if I die, that's better. Shouldn't we as Christians look at death differently than the world around us? We ought to. Okay. But how can Paul be this way? Well, it's back up there in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And it's really the first phrase I want you to see. For to me, to live is Christ. This is the life shift that Paul experienced, and what his life is about has changed his life had shifted from what it was to something completely different. And that changed how he looked at everything else in life. How he feels about everything else in life. How he responds to everything else in life. His life has shifted from Paul to Christ. From himself to Christ. For to me to live, if I'm living, it's about Christ. You see, the focus 
the focus, his focus, his purpose, the basis for his decisions, his deepest desire, where he goes to for his wisdom and his encouragement. All these things are no longer flowing from himself or from stuff or other people. It's now flowing from Christ. And what he desires, what Christ desires, and what Christ knows, and what Christ does, that's where Paul is drawing his life from. This is a huge life shift. It's not natural to us as human beings, although as Christians it should be. This is the kind of thing that really stands out in someone who, who we would identify as a real Christian. If you saw someone who is a, why well, you say that person is a real Christian, when you look close, what do you see? What is their life about? Somehow, some way, it's about Christ. It's about Christ. Now, life, sh life shifts don't just occur in Christianity. I mean, people have all sorts of life shifts. They can occur in many arenas. Sometimes there are some things we can learn just by looking at, at how things shift from one thing to another it can help us understand, you know, what, what needs to take place in our own lives if we are really going to live out what it really means to be a Christian. So <clears throat> let's look at an example from history. Consider the shift that has taken place in science over how we look at our solar system. <clears throat> 300 years before Christ, Plato and Aristotle were presenting ideas about the earth being the center of the solar system, the earth at the center, and this was described as geocentric or earth-centered view of the solar system. In other words, earth is at the center and, and all the planets and the sun revolve around the earth. Now, hopefully none of you here today are saying, well, yeah, isn't that right? Okay, hopefully you've got enough education to know that isn't the way it is. But this is what they believe, and you can understand how they could start to believe that, wouldn't you? Because you look up and everything goes around, doesn't it? Well, a little over 400 years later, 100 years after Christ, a Greek astronomer named Ptolemy systematized the geocentric view. In other words, he went and, and, and tried to apply scientific principles and methods and mathematics to describe all this, and he made detailed observations of the apparent motions of the sun and the planets. And Now, one of his biggest challenges was explaining some of the strange circular motions of the planets. Because as he would watch them go across the sky, night sky and keep track of that, he would notice that, why don't you go to the next slide there if you would, John? He would notice, I don't know if you can see the circles around the planets in those little circles. It's kind of dim for you there, I know. But he would watch the planets and they would go, and as they, they grew the sky, they would do circles. They couldn't figure that out, you know. So he figured out how to describe it and say, now we, the reason was because it wasn't the right view. But so he struggled with that. And so what I want you to see right here, right off, when they, this view, they were looking at the way things, they thought things were, but they weren't right, but, and that created difficulties. And then they had to figure out how to explain the difficulties to make it work. Sometimes we do that in our Christian lives when we aren't getting it right. Well, another 1,400 years would go by before a Polish scientist named Copernicus would challenge the geocentric view of what is called, what called the, the heliocentric view or the sun-centered view of the solar system. And many scientists of his day rejected this theory. But obviously his view has been shown to be the right one. Now this was a giant shift in views, wasn't it? I mean, when you're talking about what's at the center of the solar system, that's a huge shift to go from it's the earth to it's the sun. 
And it, it, it took a long time for it to be widely accepted. So I want you to consider this. Think about this in our own lives. We start out in our lives very much like the geocentric view of the solar system. We see ourselves as being at the center. The center of our lives. And that everything else revolves and rotates around us. And it all seems well and good and proper to us. But as we saw in last week, it was never the way God intended for it to be. His intention was for something different. Well, when we get saved, this does not immediately change. When we get saved, we still have this tendency to think that we're at the center because that's how we see life, right? That's the way it is to us. It's the way we know it to be. We understand that Jesus has come to live in us, and that makes a big difference for us. But for all practical purposes, we're still living very much at the center of our own lives and doing our best. And here's the deal, doing our best to call the shots of what we think, how, what should a Christian do? How would a Christian live? Trying to work this all out in a way that we feel okay with. But listen, the Bible calls this approach to life and the, the source of this approach to life calls it the flesh. The flesh. And remember, we talked about flesh a, a couple months back, and it, it, it can mean this, you know, flesh and blood, but this isn't what it's talking about. It's talking about flesh. It's talking about your natural ways as opposed to God. Doing things out of your own ways and your own sense of what's right and wrong. Now, the, the only problem of trying to live life this way is we're incapable of living Christian life this way. It cannot be lived this way. You might be able to live a religious life this way, but the real Christian life, the way God intends, you can't live that way. So God goes to work on us, see? And he challenges us to make a life shift that will begin to change everything. He challenges us with the word and his spirit and his people, and he begins to show us how being at the center of our lives doesn't really work. How being at the center of our lives doesn't accomplish what we think it will. Now, now us at the center comes very natural. Are we agreed on that? Me being at the center of my life comes very natural to me. It was the approach that the old sin nature instituted, set firmly in place, and so our natural tendency is to try to make that work. Seems much safer than a huge life shift, doesn't it? Well, trying to keep this going requires a lot of guarded thinking, a lot of ignoring of the evidence, a lot of mental gymnastics, all motivated by a desire to keep ourselves at the center and in control. You see, Ptolemy and all who held to this geocentric model of the solar system had to explain the orbits of the sun and the planets around the earth by adding those little circles in their orbits. See, right? I mean, that's, like I said, if you can't see very well with those little circles, trying to explain because that's, that doesn't really fit but somehow they had to explain it and make it work. Well, in the same way, we have to twist and change and re-explain to ourselves and others things that don't really match up with the truth when we're trying to live the Christian life in the flesh. We have to rationalize. We have to justify. We have to set some things aside and embrace others. And, and, and then just like it was a huge shift from Ptolemy and the geocentric view of the world, to Copernicus in a sun-centered view of the world, so it's a huge shift for a Christian to make that Christ is to be at the center of our lives. 
Christ is to be at the center. And everything else in our lives should revolve around him and not us. Can you, can you see in your own life how your tendency is to get, make things revolve around you? We've got to say, no, 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 no. must revolve around Christ. I must revolve around Christ. So it's a big shift in life, but if you want to live like a real Christian, it's a change that has to be made. And you're only going to be frustrated until you make it. And the longer you wait to make it, the longer you're going to bang your head against a wall that's never going to move. Now that makes a lot of sense, right? Now how many of you think, I, I, I have been known to have a hard head. How many of you think if I go over here and bang my head on that wall long enough that the wall's going down? Thanks. <laughs> no, I think I will go down before the wall does. The harder I bang my head on it, the more damage I do to me. And by the way, the, the harder you bang your head on this, trying to live this life in the flesh with you at the center, the more damage you will do to yourself and the people in your lives. You have to let Christ into the center of your life in every area of life and in every aspect of life. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about at the very foundation, this is a surrender. Remember the very first thing we talk about we do as Christians. What do we do? We surrender to the Lord. It's one of the essential things we must do on a regular basis if we're really going to live like Christians. So here's the way the options seem to us. It's either me at the center of my life or Christ at the center of my life. But is there another option? I think there is. And it's a really important part, we want to get down to this today to understand what it really means to be a Christian, something that can just transform everything, be this major life shift for us. It's not about kicking yourself out of the picture. It's about making a deep personal connection with Christ so that you are in it together. Remember, we, we figured out the very first week we started talking about this, that Christianity is about a relationship between us and Christ. It's not about kicking us out. It's about that deep connection that Christ is at the, at the center. That we're in this together. So we're talking about Christ at the center of me. Christ at the center of me. So now, let's, let's take another, a, a, another closer look at this. Let's see if we can't zero in on this a little bit more. When we think that we are the ones at the center of our lives, when that's our, our way of thinking, even, even when we're trying to do good and live like Christians, we discover it just doesn't work. <clears throat> How many of you like me have discovered that when you try to live the Christian life with you at the center, it doesn't work? How many of you say, I know that, I've experienced that, okay. We discover the word. Well, what ends up happening is this, and this is the problem. What ends up happening is that we add things to our lives. We have to add things to our lives. Some, you know, some things are added by others to our lives, okay? And so we have all these things in our lives, you know, family, ministry, work, witness, friends, recreation, church, relationships. We could keep adding spokes to that. All these things, either that we have added or that have been added to us. Now, since we trust that Christ as Savior, and we think we need to live like Christians, what we try to do is we start trying to figure out how, how to bring Christ into this picture. So I have my life, and now how do I bring Christ into this? How do I fit him in here? How do I fit him in there? And how does this all come together? 
but it still doesn't work. So what's next? Well, Colossians 1, verse 27, as Paul is trying to sum up this ministry that God has given us, he talks about, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, that is your hope. That is your hope to experience the glory of God and to glorify Him. It is about Christ in you. Okay? And so you think about this fact that you're saved. You're learning this and you think, okay, Christ has come to live me. And, and so I have forgiveness of sins. I have eternal life. And now Christ has taken up residence in me. Isn't that good news? Such good news. Christ has come to live within me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's so true, so amazing, you will never be alone. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And lots more things. So, so you're excited to think about it this way, okay? Christ is in me. He's living there and working. But there's still a problem here. There's still a disconnect because Christ is in you, but you still have to try to figure out how to connect him with all this stuff in your life, right? How, well, what does it mean to be a Christian here? How do I be a Christian there? What's... For all practical purposes, see here at this point, for all practical purposes, in your mind, Christ is still an add-on to your life. You have added him to you. Yeah, I got saved and Christ has come in. I've added Christ to me. Now, you need to think about what I'm saying. You've added Christ to you. It's a very natural way of thinking based on where we come from in life. So you have your life, and that includes Jesus living in you, but you're still calling the shots. You're trying to do it like a Christian the best way you know how, you're, but you're still trying to add Jesus to your life. You're trying to plug Jesus out there into your life. And there's no way in the world, listen, there's no way in the world that Christ is going to settle for being an add-on in your life. And that's not because he has a problem. It's because he loves you too much to let you live that way. Well, let's see if we can gain then some greater clarity so we can figure out what it really means to be a Christian, how to live like, live like one. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, page 1338 in the Bible that's in the pew there, 1338. Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> Gives us a little more insight into this. Here Paul's talking about this whole idea of grace and being saved by grace and we're not under the law anymore and we don't draw, draw our life from the law and we never could draw our life from the law. In verse 20 he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Now let's just stop right there. I want you to want to see. This is theological stuff, important stuff. Somehow, someway, when we trust Christ, we are united with him. There's a sense in which, yes, he comes to live within us, but there's a sense in which we are also united with him. We, we come into union with him. And so that when somehow, someway, when he died, who else died? I did. You did. If you trusted Christ, you, you died with him somehow, some way. That old person, that old sinful person died with him. He says, for I am crucified with Christ. It is no, now, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, all right, so let's think of this. So the life. This life that's being lived is no longer 
just me. It's Christ living in me. Christ living out through me. And he continues and says this, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's, he's telling us here, we're starting to see, wait a minute, so where does my life come from? I have to be drawing my life from Christ, don't I? I'm, I'm finding my life by putting my faith in him, trusting in him, learning from him. We're starting to shift from what? From me at the center to Christ at the center. And, and we, we, are, we haven't disappeared, have we? But Christ at the center of me. All right. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Page 1354 in the Pew Bible. Colossians chapter 3. Paul challenged them about how to live their Christian lives and what they need to think about and what they need to set their hearts on. He says, if then you were, if then you were raised with Christ, we just saw we were crucified with him, right? In union, now in union with Christ, now we are also raised with him. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life's somehow hidden with Christ. And he says this, when Christ, what are the next four words? Read it with me out loud, would you? Who is our life? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ, who is our life. This is the life shift that needs to, to be made to where Christ is our life. And there's a very real sense in which we have no life now apart from Christ. If Christ were to depart and leave you, most likely you would drop dead and that would be it. He is your life. He is the source of your life. He is the author of life. He is the sustainer of your life. He is the purpose for your life. And, and many more things we could add to that list. He is our life. And so when we get to this point, see, here's, here's what I want you to see. When we get to this understanding, Christ is no longer an add-on to our life. You see how we, where we're going? You with me on this? Are you guys is it coming through? <clears throat> Christ is no longer an add-on. He becomes your life. And this is the life shift we're talking about that will help you understand what it really means to be a Christian, how to really live like one. Well, what does it mean? Christ is our life. Well, like I said, from a theological sense, we've been united with him and his life is now our life. But when we use this word in just a regular way in life, we might say something like a, a professional football player might say what? Football is my life. What does he mean? Well, he means that he loves football. This means that football governs every other aspect of his life. Uh, everything else in his life has to give way to football's demands, schedules, and priorities. The professional football player is probably getting his sense of identity and value from playing the game. I'm not saying it's a good idea. But, and, and he loves it as much as he loves himself and maybe more. 
An attorney might say, the law is my life. A musician might say, music is my life. And so when we talk about what it really means to be a Christian, this idea here is right up at the top. Jesus isn't something we add to our lives and try to make fit. When we're really living like a Christian, we will be saying, no, Christ is my life. Christ is my life. My relationship with Christ governs every other aspect of life, is what we'll be saying. My relationship, excuse me, everything else in my life has to give way to the demands and the schedules and the priorities of Christ. I am getting my sense of identity and value from Christ. I love Christ as much as I love myself, and I'm working to love him more than that. Christ is my life. And when this becomes a growing reality in your life, all of those other parts of life will find the proper level. They'll find their proper place in your life. Because you won't be adding things to your life anymore and figuring out how to put Christ into them because Christ will determine what gets added to your life. And he will determine how those things relate to you and you to them. And as you live with this awareness, Christ himself will make the connections and break connections as needed. By the way, this will transform the religious stuff in your life. Because no more will it be about, oh, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. Actually, I'll try to talk about that in a little more in a minute. Well, so what is the big deal, and why does this matter so much? Well, last night, we were reminded of it here when we had the beam of presentation here again last night about the judgment seat of Christ. There will be a, that time when every one of us as believers stand before the Lord and our lives will be evaluated and we will be rewarded for what we did with Christ in this life and what he enables to do. And all the stuff that isn't about that gets burned up and gone. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And I tell you, the day you stand before Jesus, nothing else will matter to you. You will only wish that more of your life had been this way. And another reason this is so important because any other way of life for a Christian will ultimately leave you dissatisfied and frustrated. You want to try to live a Christian life some other way? Go ahead. Walk right over there. Bang your head on a wall. You'll probably be dealing with a growing number of problems of your own making. And a third reason why this is so important is because you really don't want to live like a hypocrite. Anybody here want to live like a hypocrite? Oh, that's my goal in life, to be a hypocrite. No, you want to be a real Christian, living the way Christianity was really intended to be lived. Well, how do you start living like this? How do you start? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to see things the way they really are. And I don't know where you're at in this process. You may have already addressed a lot of this in your life, and that's, that's good. Uh, but if we aren't careful, we always end up back here. Can you go to the next slide there? With me, big, and Christ, not so big. Okay, that's where we start, and when we aren't careful, that's where we go back to. 
So you need to see things the way they really are, wherever you're at. Because by nature, we start out big, crisis small. We can live this way for a long time, and, and we can make it look pretty respectable to other people, but it's not real Christianity. So you've got to see your life the way it really is. And the second thing you want to do is you want to adopt the, the thought process, the attitude of John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist came on the scene, and, and he became, his ministry became very well known. I don't know if I can say it was popular, but people were responding, lots of people following, lots of people coming to be baptized by him and pre- trying to prepare their hearts for something that God was going to do. They weren't all sure what that meant. And then Jesus came on the scene. John baptizes him. And it isn't long before people are following Jesus. More people are following Jesus and less people are following John. And so he was talk- somebody talked to him about that and asked him about it, and he said this. He said, Talking about Jesus, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. Christ must become big in my life and I must become smaller. Now, don't hear that as a negative. We aren't talking about being out of this and and you're a nobody, nothing. No, you're extremely valuable. Think of what God paid for you. You are extremely valuable, important. But he must increase, I must decrease. I need this major life shift. And then... Begin a lifelong process of learning how to shift your life like this. Magnifying Christ in your life so that the relative importance of you and Christ changes until Christ and His ways become the most predominant thing in your life, affecting and governing everything else. So if Christ really is your life, what would you do? You, if, just like we said, a football player says, football's my life, or a musician says, music is my life. If you as a Christian are saying, Christ is my life, what would you do? you want to get to know him, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to get to know him? All of a sudden, now you have a reason to open your Bible, don't you? I want to know this one who is my life. I want to know him. Prayer takes on a whole different dynamic. It's not about saying your prayers. It's about talking to this one who is your life, whom you want to please and who you need guidance. and You begin to pray. Gathering to worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ takes on a whole new dimension. On and on it goes. But you want to think, if Christ is really my life, what would I do? What would be different? And here's the reality for some of you. Some of you have you know, tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed so many different things, so many different ways, and you might not have much hope. But I tell you this, if you'll say to Christ, Christ, I want you to be my life. I want you to be my life. And, and you know me, you know my history, my patterns. You know everything that works against me. You know where I'm going to be again tomorrow. I want you to be my life. And I don't know how to do it. Would you be my life? I promise you, he will answer that prayer. He will draw near to you. He'll work in your life, and yeah, you'll fail again, and he'll pick you up again, and he's going to work. And you can begin to experience what it really means to be a Christian with Christ as your life. Father, we come before you, and we thank you that this is even possible for Christ to be our lives. Oh, Father, I pray that you'll work in us. Your Holy Spirit would, would stir us and not let us go. And that, that we, if, if wherever each person here is at today, Lord, wherever we're at, that we would look and say, we want to be where you want us to be, God. 
We want Christ to be our life. In whatever ways that Christ is our life, we celebrate it today. In whatever ways we, we're struggling with that and not like, we ask you to do a work in our lives, please, to show us, lead us. And, and we yield to you in that. We surrender to you and we say yes to what you would show us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.